Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, calling in from England, is Chris um, DRC. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you for having me. Will you spell your first name and your last name for our listeners to make sure we get it right? Yeah, C-H-R-I-S and then Darcy, D-apostrophe, A-R-C-Y. And tell our listeners what part of England you're co- you live in. Uh, I live in uh, Southampton, which is in Hampshire, so way down south. And um, I've never been to your part of England. As, as I mentioned a few times, I've served my mission in northern England, the Manchester mission, from about 80 to 82. One of my companions mm-hmm. was from Brighton. Um, how far is Brighton from you? Uh, Brighton's about an hour drive from me, about an hour, hour and ten minutes, so it's not too far. And he is. his name is David Rutley. He was my trainer when I started my mission. And he told me in the early part of um, our companionship that he was going to be a member of Parliament one day in England. And I didn't really mm-hmm. believe him at first, Chris. And then after spending a few weeks and eventually two months and recognizing the character and the goodness of this man, I thought, well, you're going to be a member of Parliament. And sure enough, he is a member of Parliament. He's the most famous wow. politician I know, Chris. I don't know any famous American politicians, but I know David Rutley, one of your members of Parliament. My wife and I went over to England. He toured us around Parliament. It was a real honor to see a part of that beautiful history of your country and that tradition and good work. So anyway, that's my name-dropping part of the podcast. I got <laughs> got that over. <laughs> um, for, that was a huge claim. <laughs> for our listeners, let me introduce um, Chris. Chris is 42 years old. Um, he is a gay. He's English. He joined the church in 2016 and now is um, stepped away from the church, um, stepped away from the church in 2019. Chris still believes much of the church and is glad he joined the church, but some experiences happened with him at the local level that caused him to feel not welcome. And the reason Chris and I are doing this podcast is just to help us do better at the local level. Sometimes it's good to hear stories of those that have been hurt or feel made to feel not welcome, and it helps us to be able to look inward and say, would I make these same mistakes, or what can I do to do, be better? So this isn't a podcast where neither of us are trying to tear down the church or uh, be overly critical of the church or inviting other people to leave. It's just a, a podcast where Chris um, shares his, his story to help us do better. And I've learned to honor all stories. As Chris and I visited before the podcast and we said a prayer, I just recognize Chris's really good heart and his desire to just do the best he can in his life. So I think this podcast will be divided into a couple segments. One, we'll just kind of talk about uh, Chris's journey to find the church and why he joined the church. Um, And then talk about his experiences at the church, many that were really good, but some that were really painful. Um, How's that for an introduction, Chris? Yeah, I think that's pretty much nailed it. So tell our listeners about being gay. I often start podcasts with this question. When did you know you were 
gay or at least different than other young men growing up in England? So it's um, in, in England, we have a different schooling system to you do in America. So it was um, probably junior or middle school, which um, is the age from five, five years to about uh, 12, 13. Um, and, no, about 10, 11, sorry. And so about the age of 10, um, 10, 10, 11 years of age, I realised that I was different. I was, I wasn't, I wasn't part of the part of the part of the norm as it as it was felt then back in the um, early eighties, eighties. Uh, um, and so I just felt that I wasn't, a, I didn't want to spend time with um, the female and the girls. I wanted to spend more time with the boys, more time with the guys. Um, and that wasn't just like a friendship, bro, bro, brotherly, brotherly thing. That was definitely. It's definitely an attraction thing rather than anything else. Did you hope that would end, that your feelings um, towards um, men would end, or did and you'd eventually be attracted to women? Or um, Tell us a little no, bit more about, did you just kind of know that would be part of who you are for the rest of your life? I think at that age, 10 years, 11 years of age, you, you, you don't comprehend what, what it means and you don't understand what it means. You just You just know it's different. Especially in the eighties, um, being gay and being homosexual was still very much frowned upon, um, and it definitely wasn't talked about. It definitely wasn't encouraged, um, and so I just it just felt I just felt different. I didn't didn't vocalise my my feelings. I didn't tell anyone about my feelings um, for many 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 years. But it was just I didn't think it was a bad thing. Um, but I just, I just knew I was different. I just, I didn't, I didn't want to be anything. I didn't want to change that feeling. I didn't want to be, to be any different to the way I was, I was being at that time. If that makes sense. Were you in a, were you in a faith tradition growing up in your teenage years in England? Yeah, my, um, my mom was a member of, um, member of Church of England. Um, and one of her good friends was a member of um, a Pentecostal gospel church, so um, very um, very energetic church, should I say. Um, so I was always surrounded by um, Christian faith, and um, there was always talk about God and Jesus in the house. Um, there's always a Bible around. So, yeah, I was brought up in... And definitely in a, in, a, in a place where religion was talked about and was experienced. It wasn't just shut out and it wasn't just, there's no such thing. It was definitely talked about. Did you talk to a pastor or a priest or a minister at any point along the way about being gay? Uh, I think the first time I talked to a a, a bigger, bigger pastor, um, a, a leader of the church of a church was um, when I was with the Pentecostal church, and um, I told told that the pastor that I was I was homosexual, I was gay, um, and at that point I was a full member of that church. I was been there for a good many years, and um, I was literally escorted off the building, and um, they 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 basically threatened to stone me to death because that was what it said in the Bible that if you're gay, you need to you need to be put to death. And um, so that was uh, that was my very first experience of um, 
coming out to a church leader at that point. Um, how old were you? And how long had you been involved with the Pentecostal faith? So I've been involved with the Pentecostal faith since the age of um, 13, 13, 14. And this was the age of about 19, 19-ish, that um, I, I, I just came, I came out. I didn't so much as creep out the closet. I, I exploded out the closet. I had so much pent up. Like, I wouldn't say it was aggression. It was just, I just needed to do it. It was one of, the, it got to the stage where it just, it had to be done. And in my head, the only way to do it was do it in one massive hit. So tell my parents, tell the church, tell my friends, let's just do it in one massive cluster bomb rather than just do it bit by bit. Um, yeah, I wouldn't advise that to anyone. It didn't work. It wasn't pretty. But I think it was definitely what I needed to do at the time. Um, but look, looking back, it, it, it hurt a lot of people, including myself. So I wouldn't recommend it. Talk about, um, did you know the Pentecostal church would respond that way, or did that surprise you? Um, it surprised me quite, it surprised me a little bit, because... Well, no, it was kind of surprised me a lot, really, because it was all to do with... There was never a discussion that homosexuality was bad. There was never a sermon or a speech that said um, being gay is, is a devil's work or anything like that. It wasn't encouraged, but it definitely wasn't hated. And it wasn't... It, wasn't, it was never talked about. And I think that's what... That's what confuses people. If you don't talk about something, you either ex you, you you make up your mind and think that that's acceptable, or yeah, it's just it wasn't it was never it was never talked about in the church. It was never talked about in the Pentecostal church in the Pentecostal faith. Um, it was just very aggressively pointed out to me that it's wrong and it's it's work of the devil and it's it says so in the Bible. You shouldn't you shouldn't do it, um, which. Me being me, um, being the stubborn man that I am, went through the Bible many, many, many times and found exactly what places it says that um, allegedly that homosexuality is bad. And there's only there's only 11 places in the Bible that say it, and they're very, very freddy. Were you, when you came out to this Pentecostal leader, were you just identifying as gay or were you in a same-sex relationship? No, I was just identifying as, as gay. Um, I didn't have, I think my first relationship didn't happen until my mid-20s, mid to late 20s. So a good, good three or four or five years after I'd come out. Yeah, and did it make you turn off of all religions and God? Because sometimes when a young person is, you know, rejected by their faith, they, they, they just don't believe God you know, God exists or God could love somebody like them and their whole relationship with deity kind of ends. Did that happen for you? Or were you able to maintain a belief in God, even though the Pentecostal faith sort of escorted you out of their faith? I definitely believe, still believed in God and still believed in, 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 
um, in, in God and in Jesus. Um, they definitely put me off attending any church or any religion for a long, long time. So that was, let me think, that was 90, late 90s, very, very, very early 2000s that that happened. Uh, no, it was definitely late 90s. And that was my last, that was the last church I ever went to until um, I became a member of the LDS. Tell our listeners how many faiths you've been a member of. Uh, I've literally tried pretty much all of them. I've done Church of England, Jehovah's Witness, uh, Catholic, um, Pentecostal, Baptist, um, even tried the gay church, um, which that didn't really last very long. It was very weird. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've been to all religions and I think they're all very, very different um, in very, very unique ways. What an interesting perspective, um, Chris, to be involved in all of these faiths and see it from the perspective of being gay. That's a really unique perspective. Um, I think uh, you're bringing back all my mission memories of Jehovah Witnesses and all those different faiths and the good people in those faiths in England. And um, But I've never looked at it through the eyes of what it would like to be gay and maybe perhaps the different things that different churches teach on that. Um, talk about... Bring us up to 2016. You're roughly in your late 30s. I would tell our listeners just how, tell our listeners what you knew about the LDS Church before you started you know, to meet with the missionaries. What were your impressions and feelings about the church? Pretty much the, the only main things I knew about the church uh, before I became a member was the, the musical that um, I've seen many, many times. Um, which is an awesome musical. Um, but I think it was the main thing was just the the, the white shirt. That that's my main main memory of LDS before I joined was just white shirts, and yeah. that's pretty much as much as much as I I, I knew before I joined. Um, but it was quite weird. Yeah, it was just the white shirts just kept sticking in my head. And when you talk about the musical, is that the Book of Mormon musical? It is, yeah. And did that, as a side, did that make you more interested in the church or less interested in the church? Uh, more interested. It's I've seen I've, I've seen it many times before I was a member of the church, and I've seen it a few times after becoming a member of the church and after going um, after many things happened within the church. And it's quite an accurate musical, to be fair. It's 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 got a lot of doctrine in it and a lot of things that actually are very very true within the church. Because you know that's that musical for some Latter Day Saints sort of is a negative experience because they feel our faith is portrayed in a negative way or teased or criticized. But I recognize for some people they don't feel that way, and for some people outside of our faith that know very little about our faith that actually um, increases their understanding of and interest in our faith. And it sounds like for you, that was um, something that made you more interested in our faith, correct? Yeah, definitely. The, the musical, it's, it's not 
it's it's not in any way um, disrespectful of the church. It just takes the mickey um, and of certain points, for example, missionary work and how that is portrayed um, on the stage. But it definitely isn't disrespecting the church. Um, even in a program that you get um, at the theatre, it's advertising the Book of Mormon. If you if you've seen the musical, if you want to read the book, then text this number, and that's in a couple of places within the program. So they're very supportive of the church, and the church is, is obviously supportive of them, or they wouldn't authorize that advertising in their programs. Yeah, that's really that's that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that part. Talk about just what happened in June of 2016. So in June 2016, I was working in a, a in a place called Winchester, which um, used to be the capital of England back in back in the day. Um, and I was working for a theatre there. Um, and all day, it was a nice, hot, really hot, sunny day. Um, and all day, I'd been watching these two 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 people in white shirts outside the window. And they'd been there from like 10 o'clock in the morning, and they were talking to literally anyone they would that would talk to them. Um, and I, I went out for a cigarette because at that point I smoked um, and I thought it's fine. They won't come anywhere near me. I'm smoking. I'm on my phone. I'm just playing a game on my phone. Um, and literally I just put the cigarette out, looked up and they were right in front of me were two people in white shirts um, with little black, little black tags on their, on their pockets. And I just remember going, oh, oh no, no, I thought I've just been, I thought I'd be free, and I just thought I'd quickly nip back to work. No, no, they started talking to me, and I was like, oh, that's great. I don't, they were like, oh, do you live in Winchester? And I was like, perfect. I was like, no, I don't live in Winchester. I, I, and they were like, oh, where do you live? I was like, I live in Southampton. And they were like, oh, that's all right. We've got missionaries there too. I was like, ah, of course you have. That's, that's great. Yeah, thanks for them. Um, don't know how, but they managed to get me to give them, give them my mobile number. Um, and I went back to work, thought nothing, nothing else of it. Within, literally within 10 minutes, I had the Southampton missionaries on, on the phone to me um, saying that I'd just been referred from the Winchester missionaries and would you like to meet up? And I was very, very rude to them. Um, and I was like, I'm at work. I can't talk to you right now. This is not acceptable. Um, and I literally hung up on them. Um, and that was my first introduction to the church. And just keep telling your story. So after a few more phone calls from the Southampton missionaries, uh, we agreed to meet up. Um, and we met up at Southampton train station, which I thought was a quite a neutral spot to meet up. And the first time we met up, I was waiting for them. And I was like, oh, I don't know, um, will I recognize them? And I thought... Oh, yeah, it's going to be those two people walking towards me in the big white shirts and the big black tags. Um, and at Southampton Ray Station, there's a Starbucks. And so I didn't know anything about it. So I was like, let's go to Starbucks and I'll grab, we can grab a drink and have a chat. So we went in. I ordered a massive filter coffee. Um, they had an argument about what they were going to drink. And we sat down and started talking about the plan of salvation, um, which went on for a little while, went off about about 20 minutes, I think. Um, they gave me the little booklet, the Plan of Salvation, and they gave me a Book of Mormon, which they very kindly wrote their names in the front and said, 
and gave it to me. I still have that. It's a very treasured book of Mormon to me. Um, and we agreed to um, keep talking. So they went on their separate ways, and I just happened to be going to the pub after after that to meet a friend. Um, and, yeah, that was the first meeting. We had a couple more meetings after that where um, we'd meet up and we'd talk. They went through the whole um, booklet pamphlets. Um, I remember the second meeting, I was like, oh, should we go to Starbucks? And they were like, no, 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 we've got another place. And they literally just walked me to a park bench and we sat down and talked, which I thought was hilarious at the time. Um, coming to the third meeting, um, I was just like, look, we, we sat down on this on a bench and they started rifling through their bags to get their, their books out and start start the lesson. And I was just sat there and I was like, look, oh, guys, I've got something to tell you. It's... I can't, I can't not tell you. It's who I am. It's part of, part of what I am. And I was like, I'm gay. Um, I'm a homosexual male. I'm, I have same-sex attraction. Um, so um, I don't know what your church thinks about that, but um, I just have to be honest with you. And they both looked at each other, then looked at me, then looked at each other, put the bags away, and went, okay. Um, that's definitely not what we had planned to talk about today. Um, and they were like, we don't actually know much about it ourselves. Um, so I think it'd be better if we, we went away and had a look into it and came back to you. Um, which, yeah, they did. But at this stage, I was getting a bit disenchanted, thinking, well, they don't know anything about it. So what does what's that saying about the church itself? Um, so I kind of like slipped away for a little while and started just ignored them um, while I got my own head around things and tried to get my own get myself back into an even keel and I think about three weeks went by and we met up again um, and one of the missionaries at the time um, said look we've done our research well he said I've done my research um, there's a website called mormonandgay.org. Um, the church accepts gay members. Um, you just have to follow the the law of celibacy. Um, but yep, yeah, you you can be a member of the church. Um, this is all the research I've done. Um, if you'd like to talk to other homosexual members of the church, I can get hold of a couple. Uh, um, I've done some research and found out some people. Um, and it was just... He made the effort, um, and later I found out he was actually quite homophobic because um, he had had a bad experience in the past with um, a homosexual member um, that they were trying to teach. And so it was quite a big thing for him, um, which was which was amazing that he, he spent the time and he did that, and he, he did that research and came back, came back with all the answers. That's a really good segment, Chris. Just so I understand, that was your third visit with the missionaries. You told yeah. them, and you just, you just wanted to level. I think you're a stand-up guy that just wanted to level with them. And it seems like you had that experience at the Pentecostal Church. You might as well just know if you're going to have that experience with the LDS Church before you get much further. So I love the way you just brought that up. 
Um, how, yeah, definitely. How, it was the first thing I wanted to do. Well, I didn't yeah, okay. want to just go through the process. It sounds like their response was mixed. I mean, it sounds like it left you a little unsettled that, you know, they didn't have answers, but it maybe was it okay that they didn't pretend to have answers and said, we'll get back to you? Did they handle that okay, or could they have done better in that initial conversation? I think they could have done better. Um, I remember um, uh, later down the line, um, a long, long way down the line, when I was in the States, I was that that was the exact missionary um, took me to a... Um, I think it was a young man's meeting, and we were talking about my whole experience of joining the church. And uh, they they were like, "What advice would you give us as a as a gay member now? What advice would you give us as we're just about to go on our missions?" And I just and I literally just went, "Just do your research. Just find out all you can, and don't lie to people. Whatever you do, don't say, oh, yes, this is something,' and it you might not be, or it might you don't know it is.' I was just like, "Do your research." Find out everything that you can find out about it. Find out all the stuff that people are going to throw at you, all the anti-Mormon stuff that they're going to throw at you, and just research it so you've got an answer. But whatever you do, don't lie to someone. If you don't know the answer, tell them. And that's my biggest bit of advice I could ever give a missionary. Great advice. And it sounds like you'd love that you would suggest that missionaries ought to know exactly what the Church teaches about LGBTQ-related issues. Um, bef- yeah, definitely. And that ought to be part of their missionary training program is what does the church teach? And um, Because as far as I know, that's not part of any uh, curriculum the missionary goes through. Um, no, it's not. It, it definitely should be. It's It should be part of the um, MTC uh, syllabus because it's a big part nowadays. And if, like me, you get, to, you get into a meeting with a missionary, and they don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't help. It doesn't cement that that relationship with the person and the missionaries. And it's. I think of good, better, best. I guess better is saying I don't know, and not good is what you said is making up answers that you don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I yeah. think as missionaries, you got to feel like you have an answer to everything. And I think your point is if you don't say you don't, which is a lot better than making up an answer, but best would be actually have done your homework before and know these issues. Talk about... Yeah. And I, go ahead, Chris. Well, I just I just feel it should be something the MTC teach missionaries, um, even if it's just like an hour part of the, part of the, the, the syllabus and go, this is a church standing on homosexuals and um, gay members of the church. This is what you need to know. And it doesn't have to be a whole big thing, just like two hour teach. That's all it is. And then they go away with a lot more information than they would if it didn't happen. Talk about um, when they came back three weeks later. It sounds like the fact that they did their research was meaningful to you. And as you learned the church's stance on homosexuals, LGBTQ-related issue, was the LDS church compared to the other churches in England about the same? Was it better or or not? I don't know what progressive uh, is the right word or just more thoughtful. Was to share with our listeners, since you have this multi-religion framework, just how we sort of fit into all those other faiths on this issue. I think um, 
I don't think the church had has a better or had a better understanding of um, LGBTQ, PTQ, or um, gay people. I think it was definitely the missionary at the time who who went out of his way to find out all that information and find out what the what actually the church was saying at that time. Um, because if it yeah, if it wasn't for him, then I don't think I would have I wouldn't have progressed that any further because I would have I'd have felt that the church didn't support or or um, encourage uh, having gay members within the within that um, within their within their church. So I think it's definitely a him rather than the church side of it. What did he do? Um, it seems like that missionary was key to you joining the church. Um, help yeah, our listeners definitely. just understand. And he, you know, he didn't make up church teachings. He taught church teachings. So it isn't like he presented a different version of the church than reality was there. But what did he do that would be helpful for us to understand? It was definitely him and his companion um, who were the first, first well, Technically, the second set of missionaries I'd met, um, but he had an he had empathy. He had an understanding. He had he knew what I don't know. It just it was like he knew how what to say, how to say it, and what to say. Um, and he wasn't just quoting church doctrine. He'd he'd done research. He'd talked to other gay members. He'd looked on the website mormonandgay.org and found out all this information and found out, watched the videos and watched the, the stories of these people. Um, and that's what was so... It, it wasn't the fact... It was He went completely out of his way, but it was the fact that he'd done that to make me feel more comfortable and make me have a better understanding of what the church stood for. Tell us his name. Uh, his name was Spencer. Is was not was he's still alive? Is Spencer Dennis? And where does he and live? His companion was Cade Cloward. Where do those two live? Do you know? Uh, Spencer lives in Tennessee, and Cade lives in Utah. Um, I still talk to Cade on a very regular basis. He's a really good friend. Um, Spencer's recently got married, so it's, yeah, good. Cade was the one who baptized me into the church. And Spencer confirmed me. Wow. I love this. And then later down the line, um, Spencer took me through temple. In Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, well, we had to go to Birmingham, Alabama, because the temple in Nashville was closed, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> <laughs> there's, 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 there's a power somewhere that didn't want me to do this. I'm struck with... Um how how it meant how much it meant to you that these missionaries cared enough to try to understand this issue and the empathy they developed yeah. for you and they wanted to connect you with other homosexual members and they and the message that sent to you about I care about you and you're needed here and a feeling of belonging and just you know what they did in some ways, wasn't very dramatic. They didn't invent new teachings. They didn't, they just, 
in their pure love, you know, Christ-like love for you just communicated to you that they cared enough about this issue that it communicated back to you that you wanted to be a part of something because of what they represented. And I'm thinking that all of us can do that, Chris. They didn't do anything that's outside of any of our skill sets. No, that's, that's exactly what it was. It was the love and compassion that they showed towards me and that they showed towards someone who they didn't know. Um, they didn't really have to do what they were doing, even though they're missionaries, they don't have to do that. Um, it was just pure, pure understanding and pure love that they were showing to a complete outsider. Had you ever felt that from any church per leader before in any of your other faiths? No, not at all. This was this was like treating you like family. It was it was definitely a love that was was powerful. It was a it was definitely a family love. It was a brotherly love that wasn't. It wasn't fake. It was it was true. It was there. It was understanding, and it was genuine, and that played that played a great deal of um, of why I joined the church and how I researched the church more after that and researched everything that was going on. A, I hope those elders are listening and other missionaries are listening. Um, that's a beautiful segment, and our church is better off with you. And once, tell our listeners your baptism date in 2016. So I was baptized at the end of October, um, 22nd October 2016. Um, Cade, at this point, had left Southampton. Um, he'd become an AP uh, in London, um, looking after the mission president. Um, and... I remember saying to him um, before he left, I was like, um, so my baptism is in October. I'm not getting dunked unless you're doing it. And he was like, well, I might not be able to come back. I was like, well, then I'll wait. I'll wait until you're available. Um, and so, yeah, he had to get special permission to come back to Southampton to do my baptism. Uh, he brought his companions with him because obviously he couldn't travel on his own. Um, I think there was around 12 missionaries at my baptism, 12 or 14 missionaries at my baptism, because they all just turned up. It was quite funny. Um, and then, yeah, the next day, so that was on a Saturday, and then the next day I got confirmed by Spencer um, at Sacramento Mean. It was lovely. It was a, it was a moment, I will, a, a time I will never, ever forget, and I will treasure for, forever. And... Actually, speaking enough, today I was looking for something else, and I stumbled across my baptism certificate. That's, so it's um, <laughs> it's just seeing their names on it. It was quite funny. That's great. Say Cade's last name again for us. Uh, Cloward. And Spencer's last name is Dennis. So, Elder Cloward, Elder Dennis, if you're listening, thanks for your service and all the missionaries that were involved. And it sounds like um, you got really involved in the church. Um, tell us about your first year in the church, what callings you held and what you enjoyed doing. So, uh, 
bit of a prequel to that. Um, before, uh, just after I was baptised, um, I found that my first hurdle was the actual bishop of that ward. Um, he didn't like me. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume it was because I was gay, but I don't know that for certain. And I was, I would never say that to him. But I, in my own head, that's what I can assume. Um, but we didn't get on. We we clashed quite a lot. Um, I I'm stubborn. He was stubborn. Two stubborn people together doesn't work. Someone something's got to give. Um, but I remember it got to the point where I'd gone to the state president at the time and said, "Look, this this is what's happening. I don't feel comfortable. I don't. I feel like I'm being bullied." Um, and the state president just looked at me and smiled and went, "Don't worry about it." It, it all sort itself out. And I was like, that's quite a flippant way of dealing with this. It's quite quite an important thing I'm, I'm bringing up. Um, and then I think it was two weeks later, the, the bishop was released from his calling. Um, and another bishop was, um, was called. And within three weeks of that new bishop, I had my priesthood and I was blessed in sacrament on a Sunday. Um, which was fantastic, which was he seen something in me that was that was the right thing and the good thing, and he didn't want to stop that, so he didn't have any prejudices he just he seen who seen me for who I was and yeah, and that was my first my first big stumped hurdle within the church um, but after after that i became a very active member of the church I had. Um, I was called as Keeper of the Ward Library. Um, I was called as Elders Quorum President's Secretary, um, which was an awesome calling. Um, it got me to do a lot of thinking and a lot of organising and a lot of, um, a lot of research as well into different, different topics that um, Elders Quorum President was talking about at the time. Um, but I think my favourite time um, was in past and testament meetings where um, I was always either first first or second up on first stand to talk and to share my testimony and share my thoughts and my feelings um, and I used to use it as like probably the wrong terminology but I used it like a little like a mini soapbox to get to try and just encourage people to look at it from a different angle or look at me as a different person um, and not try and judge me all the time um, so yeah I got a lot of support from those from those talks and also quite a lot of hate as well um, but it didn't it didn't stop me it was I needed to I just felt I needed to share that information and share that time with the congregation. And that's the purpose of that, is to bear testimony and share. It sounds like you were open with how we could do better, um, you know, making, helping everybody feel like they're needed and belonging. Talk about um, the temple. Tell our listeners your feelings about the temple. Temple is just such a special, humbling place to to visit. Um, I couldn't wait to get to Temple. 
I was absolutely desperate to get to Temple. I'd done so much research, so much um, digging and finding out more about the Temple and what it meant and how it felt. Um, visiting the London Temple just to walk around the grounds and do the garden tours, um, reading as much as I could find online and as much literature the church could give me. Um, and of course, when you're talking about temple, um, you have the sacred nature of it and you can't, I being a person who needs to know information was asking all these questions and people just go, it's sacred and you, you have to find out. And I think, that frustrated me a lot. But then, like I, like I said earlier, when um, I was, I, I got my Melchizedek um, priesthood and I got my temple recommend, my full temple recommend, um, only one person was going to take me through temple and that was going to be Spencer. Um, at this point, he was back in Tennessee. So I flew out to Tennessee. I spent some time there. We went... Um, Ironically, he lived literally five-minute walk from a temple, um, but that was closed to maintenance. Um, so we had to drive two and a half hours to Birmingham, Alabama temple. Um, it just seemed everything was against me at that point. It was just, um, what is quite funny is afterwards I found out that uh, my temple recommend literally went live when I was walking through the door of the temple wow. because there was a, there was a clerical error somewhere on the computer system that hadn't made it go live. Um, but yeah, it was literally, literally that that close to when they were just about to scan it and it, it went live on the computer system. Wow. Um, but so I went through the temple for the first time. I met the temple president, and it was it was just a humbling experience. Such such a humbling experience of going through temple for your your own endowment for the first time. Um, and then having that experience with Spencer and his family um, and spending time talking to him and it was just it was just great because then you then you can ask all the questions and get all the answers and get all the knowledge and then you can just go to go to that that place and just be so close with Heavenly Father that it's just like you're like it's you and him sat at a table talking. And that's how I always pictured it. Every time I went through Temple, when I came back to the UK and came back to England, I just I just felt that going in, going and talking to Heavenly Father was just like sat on a park bench, just like two old friends sat there just having a chat and just putting the world to rights and just getting things off my chest that I needed to talk about, I needed to share. And I still have that feeling. I still... When I pray, I still feel it's just me and him sat in a room just across the desk from each other, just catching up. It's just it's a special feeling. It's a very, very special feeling. Talk about your record for baptisms in one day. <laughs> so I I used, I used to go to temple at least once, twice a month, um, and... <laughs> I found my home with the baptistry. I found it was just I felt close there. I felt I felt at peace. I felt calm. I felt I felt a very very strong um, relationship with Heavenly Father in the baptistry. 
so I was going I was going to spend a couple of days up in Temple. So I went to my ward and said, look, anyone got any names that they need to be baptised in Temple that they've been sat on for a while that you don't mind me doing? Um, what I didn't realise was how many I'd get. And, um, yeah, in one session in the baptistry, I did 147 baptisms. Um, I At the time, it was it was lovely. It was great. Me and this, um, this other member from Wales who, again, like me, loved the baptistry and bought his own names as well. Um, and I think I, I remember the temple workers looking at us going, do you realise how many names are here? We're like, yeah, yeah, we're fine with it. And they're like, okay, we might need to change shift halfway through. Um, and I oh, I ached for at least two days afterwards. But at the time, it was such a, it was a euphoric feeling of knowing how many people I'm helping. And just a feeling of peace and calm. Yeah, Temple's a very special place. Very, very special place. Talk about, I love your love of the temple, and I, I'm looking at this point in your life as just a deeply committed Latter-day Saint, um, serving in so many ways, deep testimony, um, supportive people. So talk to our listeners kind of what happened to eventually this story of kind of you now, even though I think you still believe in the church and its teachings, don't attend. Yeah, I, st- I still definitely believe in the church and believe in its teachings and its doctrines. Um, I think the classic was, um, I remember one Sunday I was in Southampton Ward, and at this point I'd been blessed in sacrament for a good many weeks. Um, always preferred doing the, 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 water, the, the water prayer rather than the bread prayer, shorter, less complicated. Um, but I remember when I first blessed sacrament, um, and it just happened to be where the state president was visiting. So I had a full congregation, a full um, stand with state president and his councillors and all, the, all these people that were up there to do this talk on Sunday. I'm sat there ready to bless, bless, the, bless, bless the bread on a sacrament meeting. And I, I just couldn't say that prayer. I, I got that prayer wrong five times. Um, and then the... Um, one of the old members of the bishopric came up to me, kneeled down next to me, put his arm around me and just said, take a breath, breathe in and just go and do it. And I was like, okay. So took a beat, took a breath and got that prayer out, mailed it. After six times and mailed that prayer. And I think if they could, the whole congregation would have got on their feet and clapped. (laughs) Even the state president looked at me and smiled and um, I remember the following week, I blessed sacrament again, and one of the, one of the congregation got to do his talk, and he said, um, "My talk's on faith," and um, he said, "If you want to, if you want to see what faith is," and he he said, "Just look at this man," and he pointed at me, and he went, "That man last week was on his knees doing that prayer six times before he got it right, and he's back this week doing it again. That's how faith works." And I was just like, "Wow, wow." But that was a good times of blessing sacrament. The bad times of blessing sacrament was I was blessing blessing sacrament and I was handing out handing out the trays and the 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 service came back 
and I offered a tray to the server, and he refused to take the bread from from my tray. And I was like, okay, what what's going on? I'm thinking, what don't you want to take sacrament? Don't... And he then leaned over and took bread from another tray, and again with the water, and he refused again. And I was like, okay, well, okay. So afterwards, I, I went up to him, what's going on? He's like. I don't want to take sacrament from people like you. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. How do you mean people like me? What, what do you mean? He's like, well, there's, there's, there's a rumor going around that you're gay. I'm like, well, it's not a rumor. It's the truth. I'm not, not hid this. It's not the secret. Um, he said, well, I don't want to take sacrament from you. And I was like, okay, but I'm not going to stop blessing sacrament. So you either need to start, looking at yourself and sorting it out or um, find don't don't serve sacrament don't don't be a servant sacrament um, but it was just it was just the way he said it and one of your other podcasts uh, a few weeks ago I think it's Highland said um, the church has moved forward with um, how they treat gay and homosexual people within the church and the members haven't some members are still holding on to very old doctrine and very old church teachings and they just won't let it go. And it's sad that it's, it's got to that point that the stereotyping as well now, but the older generation within the church just won't let it go. They won't move forward with, with what the church is trying to do. And don't get me wrong, the church has got a long way to go. Um, but they've made some significant steps, steps that I would never have thought would have happened, even within the last two years that they've done. And it's fantastic. It's not enough, but it's fantastic the way they're moving forward. I think, I don't think, I know the members need to follow, follow suit and they need to they keep up with what the church is teaching. Um, it's... It's sad, really. It's sad that I'm quite a strong person. I'm quite a stubborn person. So that kind of person doesn't really. It made me. It made me angry. It made me sad. But sure. It was just. I just couldn't believe he did it. I just couldn't believe in the year that we were in, in 2017, that people still treated people like that. It's just. It's just craziness. But. He, he wasn't the only one. It was um, talking about struggles within, within the church. Um, one, one general conference, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, did the whole talk on family and how you've got to have a wife, you've got to have children. That's the only way you're going to get to to heaven and um, be, be with Heavenly Father, um, which he, he, he didn't realise the way he was saying it, I don't think. He just excluded all of them, all of the homosexual people out of that complete talk. In one fell swoop, he just he was just like, this is the only way you're going to do it. And it's like, mm, no, no, it's not the only way, but I, I see your point. So I was quite angry. So I, I put a post out on Facebook saying that this is, I don't think this is right. He's excluded this, this the homosexuals and um, all the gay people with members of the church, just quite a few. And... I remember the following Sunday and the next Sunday, I was stood at the back of the church um, at the end of the service and remember the 
remember the bishop book came up to me and said, oh, I've seen your post about um, uh, online about, state, about general conference. And I was like, uh-huh. And he's like, well, I think if you feel like that, you should you should really leave the church. I don't think it's the right place for you to be. And I was like, what? what, what? I don't understand. He's like, well, the church isn't going to change. So I was like, okay. I'm not asking. I just, it was just, I made, he made that, that talk made me angry. I put my feelings into a public forum. I'm well within my rights to do that. And he was like, yeah, but I don't think it's right for you to do that. <laughs> and he's like, you're criticising a member of the quorum. I was like, no, I'm just saying his talk was a bit insensitive. I'm not criticising him. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so I've been refused sacrament on on the stand, and I've been told to leave the church by a member of the bishop. Rick. Yeah, it's it goes well, my, my journey within the church. Talk about, you're doing such a good job, Chris, on just sharing your story. What, if I were your, if I were in that bishopric and saw your Facebook post, what would be, what would be a good thing for me to, if I brought up that Facebook post um, for me to talk as a member of the bishopric with the framework that I, I'm probably not going to criticize that same general authority, but I want to make it so that you feel welcome here. What what help what would what could I have done? I think just being a bit more empathetic, a bit more sensitive to to the way I was feeling. Um it was blatantly obvious I was angry. It was blatantly obvious I was upset. Um so something along the lines of the, the, what he was saying was technically right, but it doesn't excuse the fact that homosexual and gay people are welcome within the church and they are still full members of the church and he just went about it completely the wrong way i think he should have anyone who read that post should have just been a bit more sympathetic and a bit more empathetic and gone look what he said was right um, and you know that but he shouldn't have he shouldn't have made it so black and white he should have included everyone in that and i think that's what that, that's that's what should have been said rather than just, no, you're wrong. I like your answer, and I just, I recognize that um, I've met enough faithful, committed Latter-day Saints that Hold Temple recommends that at times there's a state, a general conference talk that comes along that they don't agree with or feel good about or doesn't quite resonate with them. I think that may happen more frequently than we realize, and I think we have to create space for people that want to be committed members of the church to feel like they still belong and are needed if they don't love every general conference talk. I don't think that's a requirement to be a committed Latter-day Saint. And I think if we just have those that love 100% of every past and current general conference talk that feel welcome at church, our congregations are going to get small. Um, so, <laughs> very, very small. So I think we have to create space for faithful Latter-day Saints and um, to stay and feel like they belong. I think sometimes I think we want to defend the leaders. Um, I think we can do both. I think we can support and sustain our leaders and also acknowledge um, 
painful experience that our members have with leaders, whether it's a conference talk or a personal experience or a business experience, or it's just sometimes there can be choppy waters. And I think sometimes we feel like we can't do both, but I think we can do both. We can validate how your Facebook post feels and your lived experience and support and sustain our leaders. And I think then we heal you and and help you through your anger if we sort of sit with you in your pain and anger and um, kind of help you along. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're sharing that part of your story because obviously it had a big impact on you and was part of the reason you ended up stepping away from the church. And I think you could have handled the general conference talk. It, it's just sort of how we support you as you're walking the road of having an uncomfortable general conference talk. So is that true? Could you have stayed in the church if we just sort of supported yeah, you better? I think if the support was there, I think that's what you said is, is the actual, you hitting the nail on the head. There was no, I, I received zero support in the ward I was in. There was, there was uh, I say zero, there's a handful of people, like four people, five people who would support me and would call me and would talk to me and would always always be there for me um but 98 percent of them weren't and they're not supportive but that's where the church i think the church wards need to change i think the wards need to be more supportive of minority members be that gay members transgender members um uh, just they just need to be there for people it's not it's not rocket science it's just care for each other and especially within a church and a church congregation on a Sunday, surely that's what it's about. It's about being a family with Heavenly Father at the head of that family. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I, you know, sometimes people ask me how I feel about the family proclamation. And I, my answer to that, and I was on Twitter talking about this, is I support and sustain that doctrine that teaching of our church, but I recognize that I, there's a group of, of members of our faith that, that that possibility is not possible for them, and they are locked out of that possibility, marriage between a man and a wife and having a family, and you are one of those members of our church that um, is locked out of that narrative. So I think as we teach that doctrine and teach the marriage between a man and a wife, we have to also recognize that um, our LGBTQ members, you know, that can be really triggering for them because that just is a, a something that's out of their control to have in their life. And and it reminds them sometimes that they're different and that they don't have um, opportunity for all the blessings that our straight members have. So I think we need to learn to be able to, as we talk about some parts of our church, recognize that there are members that don't have any path to participate in those blessings and those lessons can make them feel like they don't belong or their voices are less important um, versus what we should do is is acknowledge the difficulty of their path and the courage it would take um, in a family-centered church for our LGBTQ members like you that don't have a path for a family, the courage it takes for you to participate in our church and it's much harder for you and um, it, we should sort of acknowledge that and and be grateful for 
people like you that join our church and contribute to our church and recognize at times it's harder. Your road is harder. Um, so that's kind yeah. of some of my, th- go ahead and share your thoughts on that. No, I, think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's, it's not easy being a, a, a gay member of the, of the Latter-day Saints Church. It's not. And I'm not going to lie to people and say it, it's once once you join the church as a gay man or a gay woman, you, it's going to be plain sailing. It's not. Not at all. But I think you just need to understand that it's not... I, 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 I never wanted to be one of these people who left because of the people. Because I remember listening to a state president have, doing a talk and going, people, people who leave the church leave because of the people. And whatever they say, they always they, 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 they say different excuses for why they left the church, but it boils down to they've had a disagreement with someone or they've fallen out with their friends, and that's how it happens. So I was, I was determined never to be one of those people, but I was because I had zero support. I had zero zero caring, zero love from people within that church, within that congregation, sorry, within that ward. And especially with the the, 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 the family proclamation is, I remember sat there in an elders' quorum um, and they were doing that and I was the last one to talk and I was thinking, and the last one will run out of time because everyone goes on and on and on. We'll run out of time, I can escape, it's fine. And I was sat there and I, I I was really upset with what people were saying. I was really getting emotional and started. I could feel tears welling up to me. And I, I leaned over to the missionaries and said, when it gets to me, what am I going to say? And I, because they knew all about me. And they were like, be honest. Just be honest. And I was like, do you think they're ready for that? And he's like, does it, does it matter if they are? Um, and so it got around to me. And I, I literally sat there and went, do you know what, I'm really... I'm really hurt with this, the way this, this meeting's gone today um, because I'm never going to have a wife. I'm never going to have children. I'm never going to have that family. Um, and that family you talk about that is the only way to get into, get to see Heavenly Father and get into, get into um, the Celestial Kingdom. Um, and I'm gay, so what, what, do I, what do I get out of this? What's my family? What does my family look like? And you could see the missionaries physically go, oh, my gosh, what? We said, be honest. Um, but I just I just laid out there, and literally everyone was just staring at me with their mouths hitting the floor. And then I was like, then the bell went. I was like, oh, see you later. <laughs> just walked out and left them to it. And so I thought, I don't, I'm not even going to let them do closing prayer. I just, I just stood up and left. Um, but every time I hear that talk, and every time and a gay member or homosexual member of the church, here's that, here's that proclamation. A little bit of them gets a bit sad inside. And it needs to either be reworded or changed slightly to include everyone, because that's what the church is about, is, is about family and including people and not being disrespectful and not trying to put people, make people unhappy. So yeah, that that's definitely something that needs to change within the church is that 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 teaching. Yeah, and I just think of empathy. I think of um, we need to have empathy. I mean, when I hear your story, I get tender hearted because and here I am in that elders' quorum, 
and you're locked out of the possibility and powerless to change it because um, you can't, it's not within your control. You can't do anything to have this type of family, a marriage between a man, a woman, and children. Um, you just recognize that that's outside of your control and powerless to change that. And so that just, as we hear your story, it develops empathy. Um, and that's the way we do better. And so I admire you being honest in that elders quorum, and it makes people uncomfortable, and some people don't want to be uncomfortable at church. But I think part of growth is to recognize everybody's experience at church so we can, our goal is to, you know, for the congregations, everybody to feel welcome. That's everything Christ taught, everything invited to do. And I think he would want, if he were sitting in that quorum, he put his arm around you and and want you to feel welcome and would say things in that quorum to help you feel like you belonged or needed. And so mm -hmm. it's just, I'm glad you, tell, you share your story. And um, I just, I think we can stand for our doctrine, but recognize that, I mean, I um, tweeted a little bit about this this week. I, you know, I've, and I kind of said this, but I'll read the tweet. And I support the family proclamation. I can do that and still show kindness and empathy for church members that don't have a path for marriage between a man and a wife facing near impossible choices I never faced. And, and the purpose of that is just to show empathy that, you know, and, but if we don't show empathy and kind of recognize your difficult road and, and see things through your eyes at times, then you create a, then it, church can become difficult and it can't be, and it may not be a safe place. And you may get anxiety on Friday and Saturday, wondering what you might hear at church as a gay Latter-day Saint that kind of makes you feel like you're part of the them that they're talking about. That's an outside threat to the church or part of the sign of the last days versus our own members. And then you don't feel like you're welcome and you step away. Which you have done. I can definitely say one, one thing I did feel was, um, especially towards the end, is I, I hated going to church. I hated attending the sacrament meeting because it was just, it's, it was something I, I did because I had to, not something I enjoyed. And that was the crux of it, I think. It was when the joy came out of it was when I when I decided that was, that was it. I just couldn't face it any longer. Talk about you've got a pretty good relationship with your stake president, and this is in the South Portsmouth stake in England. Talk about what he's doing to continue to be your friend, even though you don't um, per, um, attend church. So my stake president has always been very, very supportive of me and very um, supportive of um, LGBTQ people within the church, uh, members of the church. Um, he's done. He's reached out to organisations who um, teach leaders how to welcome um, gay members to the to the church. Um, and during when he became state president, uh, the first thing he did was seek me out, and we we had a chat and a meeting, and we talked. And we became we became good friends. And um, I remember when I sent the, sent the email telling him that I was leaving the church. Um, it was, a, it was the hardest thing I did, and he didn't respond, which I was I was kind of angry with, but then I couldn't be angry with him because at the bottom of the letter I said, please do not contact me. So he was doing exactly what I asked. Um, 
but then I sent them a text message about three months, four months after I left the church. I was like, hi, how are you? Um, just thought I'd say hello and um, see how you are. And since then, we've been, we, we talk once a month. We, we text each other. It's just a, hi, how are you? I think, okay. Um, but it's still communication. We're still there. Um, he invited me to his son's baptism. Um, so I'd left the church at this point. It was about six, six months after I'd left the church. Um, and he invited me to his son's baptism, which was such a lovely thing for him to do. Um, and yeah, so I went to his son's baptism in, in a different ward. Um, and it was just weird. And that was the first time I'd been back to the church, back to um, the church before, after I'd left. And I, I remember standing outside the building going, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to go in there. Um, but I went in, um, what, went, went through the whole service, watched the baptism, watched confirmation. It was on a Sunday, and he came up to me afterwards, and he, and, and literally in the in the front of every single person, he wrapped his arms around me, wow. gave me a great big hug, and said, "Thank you so much for coming." And then his wife came over, wrapped her arms around me, gave me a hug, and was like, "I'm so pleased you attended. It was just so it's so nice to see you." And yeah, I started crying. Um, but it's just such a nice thing for him to do. Um, but he was, even when he was in Southampton Ward and he was there, he always made a beeline for me, always wrapped his arms around me, gave me a great big hug and went, welcome, it's great to see you today. Um, so he was, he is extremely supportive, um, which is great. It's, it's just a breath of fresh air to see someone in authority who welcomes um, other members of the church and just doesn't go down that line of you have to be a white male with a wife and 2.4 children. You can be different. You can be you can be who you want to be and still be welcomed within the church. I love that segment, Chris. I love everything about that, uh, and I love the. Oh, go ahead. So no, just just something that come to mind that um, about being all encompassing. I remember um, you have to, I had to have a baptismal interview before I was baptized, and so only after I only after I got baptized did I realise that um, normally another set of missionaries do that baptismal interview for that person. Um, but I had my baptismal interview with um, with the mission president, and. It, it wasn't until afterwards. I thought, oh, that's just the norm. And it wasn't until afterwards they were like, no, we normally do each other's state uh, baptism interviews. And I remember sat there and um, we dialed it through on Skype. And um, he said, Chris, um, I, I understand from the elders that uh, you're a gay man. And I was like, yes, that's correct. He's like, um, and that you follow the words of wisdom and you follow the, 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 the um, law of chastity. And I was like, uh huh. He's like, yeah, I, will, I approve your baptism. And I was like, what? He's like, I approve your baptism. He said, if you're prepared to give up that part of your life for the church, he said, you, you, you do seriously believe everything the church is teaching, and I approve your baptism, calling the elders. And, and that was my baptism, Wendy. Because it was just so, he was just like, I, I, he said, I can't believe you're giving that up to be a member of the church. 
Wow. Just a, such a special moment that we shared. And afterwards, I met him a couple of times afterwards, and he just, he just, he just can't. He just like I've followed your progress, Chris, through through the church, and he said, "I'm just so proud of you. I'm so proud of where you are within the church." Tell us the name of your mission president and your stake president, if you want to. Uh, the stake president is uh, James Grant, and the mission president was. Oh, I knew you were going to ask this. I can't remember. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> Uh, his name's completely gone from my head. If, if it comes um, back in the podcast, you can go back. But uh, I, I do, yeah, to kill me because Cade loved it. I do love that your mission president recognized the extra sacrifice you're making as a gay man to join the church, and that our teachings are celibate. So, um, a straight person walking in the church obviously is not coveting to be celibate. Um, but you kind of are, um, and yeah. I love the fact uh, the mission. <laughs> I love the fact the mission president recognized that, and honored the in- additional sacrifice you were making, which is the sacrifice that people born into the church make by sort of default. Um, mm. And but for you to do that proactively, as a convert, and I just love the fact he got that, and and quickly approved your baptism because he got that part of what you, the sacrifice you were making, very insightful. And I love this stake president um, that continues to be close to you and and just how healing it was to go back in that building that's been the source of so much joy, but some pain, and you were nervous. That makes sense because it's been the source of both of those types of feelings. But the the balm of Gilead you felt at that his son's baptism, the hug, that sort of represents, I think, the love of the Savior for you and acceptance and love of who you are. Um, that brotherly hug, I think, it means a lot. And and I just love his ministry and how we can all do what your stake president did. Yeah, he has keys for the stake, and there's a lot of things we can't do as as stake. You know, only one person can be stake present, but everybody can do what he is doing for you. He isn't doing some magical yeah. formula that requires just stake president keys to do that. And so that's where it gives me hope for the future, but we've got work to do, as you're pointing out and as you firsthand know. Um, we're kind of coming to the, on our end. I'd love to just hear any closing thoughts you have, Chris, and then, I'd love to hear is the door open that you could ever return to the church because uh, it sounds like you still believe in the church, but the local experience just caused you to step away. So that's kind of two parts. Any closing thoughts? And is the door open at all just a little bit to returning someday? So closing thoughts would probably be if I could um, quote scripture at you would be, um, I remember before I was baptized, I, I went I think my second Sunday I went and um, I was sat there going, I still don't believe this. I still don't think it's true. I don't I don't know if this is right for me. I remember just picking up a Book of Mormon and flicking through it and um, I found a passage in um, Alma, um, Alma 37, and I called it my comic book moment um, where Heavenly Father has a plan for each and every one of us, but as human beings, we can't see that plan. We, we can't comprehend the, the, what he's got in mind. So it's like if you 
pick up a pick up a book and bring it very close to your face, all you see is a blur. You see dots, and the more you move that away from your face, the more the clearer that that image becomes, clearer that writing becomes. And I think that's what Heavenly Father does with us. We can't see that book, we can't see that text, but every every now and again, Heavenly Father will move that text away from our face, and a bit more comes clearer, and a bit more starts to starts to make sense to us. And the way I found that, um, that I believed everything was true was um, from Alma thirty-seven uh, verse forty, um, which I'll let your listeners read at their own leisure. It's forty to forty-two, um, which is a great passage where it's talking about faith and how that they had faith in God, and then God could cause spindles to point in the right way, to point in the right direction. Um, and the, 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 the line that hit me was, um, so they're threatening God. Uh, they have, uh, by their small means, and that was that was the thing that, that made me, made my senses prick and made me go, go all, all, all like goosebumpily. Was we we as human beings don't need to do a lot. We need to go. You need to attend church. You need to pray, you need to read the Bible, read the Book of Mormon, and God will give you what you want, and Heavenly Father will give you what he He thinks, you, he knows you need. But as human beings, we don't do that. And that's what I think LGBT and gay and homosexual members of the church, they get all the negative side from members, but they don't necessarily go back to their, their, their basic of where faith comes from and where you should be. And so I think my closing thoughts would be, especially to members of the church, especially, and especially to missionaries that are out there now teaching and come across homosexual and LGBTQ people, is my favourite line, and Caden Spencer will kill me for saying this, is God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen to people and then respond to them and if you don't know what the answer is tell them it's not you don't know but yeah my favorite favorite example is god gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason but in respect to is the door open would i go back in a heartbeat if the if the ward was changed and if it was a better better place to be a better environment for me to be in as a gay man then yeah i'll go back I still believe. I still believe in the church. I still believe in Heavenly Father, and I still believe in the teachings of the church. I just can't be in a ward that doesn't appreciate me and it doesn't respect me. That's a great podcast, um, Chris. Um, I wonder how many Chris's are out there right now. We're recording this on a Sunday. Um, that would be, and we've got COVID keeping us out of church, but how many Chris's are there worldwide that don't fully participate in the church, don't come because of experiences at the local level, deeply wounding, difficult experiences, and that believe in our church and would like to participate. So I think you, and you do such a kind, gracious way of helping us to look inward, Chris. I'm comfortable with everything you said. I think our listeners are comfortable with everything you said. 
And it just helps us to look inward to recognize we have work to do to help everybody feel like they're needed. I also recognize we're worse off as a church without you in the church because of your contributions, the temple work you've done, the lessons you've taught, your voice for all marginalized people, and we're worse off without you as part of our faith. And so I've, I love that you keep the door open, and I hope and pray that at some point you're able to return. Um, but I just honor you where you are. I deeply admire you joining the church and all the good that you've done for our church. And I have to think so many people are much better around LGBTQ issues because of you. You've changed a lot of hearts and touched a lot of people in this podcast to be part of those, those missionaries. Um, you mentioned one that was kind of homophobic at first that really did a complete paradigm shift. And he may have a gay kid one day or be a bishop of a gay teenager. And so what you've done to help people understand is going to prepare them down the road as they interact with other LGBTQ people that may indeed be their own children or grandchildren or people they're responsible for. So um, I'll just give you one last chance for any last thoughts, and then we'll sign off, Chris. Um, I think last thoughts would be to any missionary out there who's on, who's who's out on the mission right now or looking to go on their mission, and to any member of the church, but especially to missionaries, is it's just be accepting, be be comfortable, be. Be caring and just research. Do your research because the church has moved on. Everyone else needs to catch up. Um, and just be respectful and be kind to each other. And don't stop with the hate. It takes more to hate someone than it does to love them. That's a powerful closing statement. So, Chris, Darcy, thank you for joining us. Um, I encourage all of our listeners to, in the book that is coming out or out, depending on when you listen to this podcast, it's under my name, Richard Osler, on Amazon or Cedar Fort. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. One of the chapters, Chapter 7, is a chapter called Ministering to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and it just has a lot of the same ideas of what we can do to help um, make sure our LGBTQ members feel welcome. And so between Chris's podcast and other stories and this chapter, I'm, it helps us do better. But Chris, I'm deeply touched by your podcast. You've got a great heart, a great mind, a tenderness and a goodness about you. And thank you for being on another episode of Listen, Learn and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Mm -hmm.